I invite you to open up your Bibles to uh, the book of Romans. Romans chapter 9. And yes, we are halfway through this book. We just passed the halfway point. So, congratulations. Thanks for bearing with me this far. It's a home run from now on, right? So, might as well get to the end. But it's really interesting because Romans chapter 8, which was one of the greatest chapters in the Bible, I think, it doesn't really match what Paul talks about next. If you flick two Bibles, <clears throat> because this is what some people say, they say, hey, you finish reading Romans chapter 8, verse 39, talking about the love that would never leave us, would never be separated from it. What makes sense with the fall of God is to go straight to chapter 12, okay, and then to preach from there. Because in Romans chapter 12, it begins to more practical things, practical ways, practical holiness. And notice that starts with the renewing of the mind. And Paul doesn't go there just yet. He has chapters 9, 10, and 11. And I'm not going to say probably this morning why he does that. We're going to let you figure it out. And we'll be giving you this morning why. But Romans chapter 9 is one of the most puzzling chapters. It's going to be a chapter that, to really get into it, it's going to take more than a Sunday morning. And that's why we're going to be talking about on Wednesday evenings from now on. 6.30 here at the church if you want to join us in that conversation. It's puzzling because there's some really interesting verses. Verses such as 13, as it is written, Jacob and I loved, but Esau and I hated. And the question is how much is this with God with that? And then 18, therefore he has mercy on whom he has mercy, and whom he will hide. It's a very fascinating doctrine in here. But we're not even going to touch on that today. And we're going to cover three verses. And I want to see if we can grow as a church from looking at Paul's heart himself in Romans chapter 9. So that's what Romans chapter 9 to 11, some people will say. It's about God's promises and his chosen people. But here, the title of this morning's message, I've on the screen there, it's ready. Are you ready for a checkout? The following question. Ready for a checkout? So, and by the way, this checkout is, is even more for me than it is for you guys. Now, when I'm preaching this morning, I am preaching to myself even more than you. I'm saying we want to grow as a local body of believers because there, there are some really, uh, when, I, when I say this checkout, 
just want you just to examine yourself. Examine your, your life for the past few months or years or um, and see how much it matches with Paul's. Because I know it won't match. I confess right now, mine does not match with Paul's as much as it should, as much as it could. But the prayer is, is there, the desire is there. And sometimes that desire fluctuates. So, chapter 9, starting at verse 1, Paul says, I am telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit. For a certain group, Paul has something serious to say, right? And when I read this verse, I actually said, well, straight away he's talking about the doctrine of election about God choosing certain individuals. But he's not there yet. And I don't think that's his motivation in saying this, you know. What what is he turning the truth in Christ? Like? What is he not lying about? How does he put a positive everything with it? So it's really serious, isn't it? And even to the point where my conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit. Now when it says important words, it's in the Holy Spirit. So I have a question for you. Can you solely rely on your conscience to know what's right and what's wrong? We have a conscience, and if you don't know what the conscience is, it's just that small voice inside you. We can all be born with it. But it really says, you know, when you're doing something, is it right or is it wrong? We all have a conscience. But notice back right here, it's in the Holy Spirit. Is the question, can you solely rely on your conscience? I'm going to say no. Conscience can, consciences can be quite dangerous. Really, because we can actually, um, I think King James Version uses the word, to say we can sear them, we can sear the conscience, we can pretty much just say, you know, burn it off and say, no, it's not there. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7, we can actually defile the conscience. We can have a, a defiled conscience. Um, so Paul writes to the church of Corinth, talking about how their, um, their, 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 their food, not everyone possesses this knowledge, some people are still so accustomed to idols, that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god, and since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. And it says they are not defiled, it is defiled. Their conscience. Is defiled. And that's the point where they can't distinguish properly between the right and wrong. So, consciences are good. Depends how well you have managed it, used it. Then he continues in verse 2 and saying that I have intense sorrow. Intense sorrow. And Notice these adjectives. Continual anguish in my heart. This is some pretty strong stuff. For Paul to be, you know, to have it, it's not just sorrow, it's intense sorrow. Um, your version obviously might have a different word. I have great heaviness in my Bible. Continual sorrow, anguish, grief. If you don't know what Paul's talking about, well, next few verses tell us that it's 
really, to do with these lost Jewish brothers and sisters. The ones that are unsaved. The ones that don't know Jesus Christ. This sorrow is intense for them. Keep in mind, remember, these are people that tried to stone him. They tried to do all sorts of harm to him. That's big to say, isn't it? But they're dear to his heart. Well, does that apply to us today? I think again, we don't necessarily have to be have a sorrow for the Jewish people in particular, but all that. But I think we should have a continual sorrow or grief for the lost that are out there, for the unsaved, the ones who don't know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. But how often do we think about them? A great story, many stories of this gentleman, William Booth, a general, a founder of the Salvation Army of Cross. Here's a story of, he had two officers back in the day. They were delegated a particular city, a town, that was in deep poverty, low socioeconomic um, status. Um, I think the town was maybe something to the or something like that, not quite hard. But the officers' names, I think, were um, Kate and Mary Jackson. Kate and Mary Jackson have been working in this town, laboring in this town for a couple of years. So it's quite a long, lengthy time that they've been there. Uh, they're, they're laboring themselves, they're getting in amongst the people, they're coming home tired, and every night I'm going to sleep is hard. They go to the point where they go in contact with General William Good. And they sent him a telegram. For young people, in the room, you actually have heard of the telegram. Feel free to turn to someone who might have prayed that out. And they will probably have to tell you this, okay? And I'll look at you, Jack, and you'll have to tell you that. You think you can pass on to us? So they say communication. In other words, if you can say, I have to find this. Well, it's a text message. What's that text message like? Now this telegram sent to William Booth said this. Would you kindly move us to another station? Can you say stop after telegram? We're so tired and disheartened. We've tried everything that we've been taught to do. Please move us to another location. Does anyone know the story? William Booth says a reply. Because even if you're the ones who are disciplined, what would you say? How would you do it? So, the bigger the company is. Well, he said two words. Two words he said back. Try tears. Try Yes. Have they tried everything? 
don't talk this? <clears throat> because how can you teach having a heart for the people? Grieving for the people like what we're reading about in verse 2. Having an intense sorrow, continued anguish for them. It's a hard thing, isn't it? Try to years. You know what? I did. And there's two officers end up seeing the problem at the And then this statement I can't remember. This statement is like a pinnacle. This is to me like, like when Paul writes um, about. Um, when he would do whatever he can, he would be whatever kind of person, just so someone could get saved. I can't tell you the reference off my heart, but you, you, know, you know the passage, right? He would do whatever he can. But then you get to this point, where he says, I wish, I wish I could be condemned, cursed by being your body, cut off, from Christ, just for the sake of others. Wow. Like, Paul knows that he can't, right? He's not an idiot. He knows, and he's just said, nothing can separate him from Christ. All right, he's just preached that. But if it could be possible, just so someone else can get saved. And I'm going to say, in his case, it was. Literally an enemy. You saw the enemy. He gets saved. For their sake. Who like me are Jewish by birth. And so if you are unaware, if you haven't been following us for the whole book of Romans, um, Paul was indeed a, a, a Jewish man. He was brought up, probably, as he said here. A Hebrew of the Hebrews. A real Hebrew, if the record was one. I just saw this stuff on that version. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, he said, I was circumcised when I was eight years old. And we're talking about the person who wrote half of the New Testament. I am a pure blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin. A real Hebrew, if there was a one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. You read about that in the book of Acts. He's murdering Christians because he believes Jesus Christ was you know, an absolute devil. He was the Antichrist, anti-God. As for righteousness, I obeyed the law without God. This was the way he was brought up. He was one of them. And now is to the point where he's getting stoned by his own people. Still has a heart for it. Still has intense sorrow for them. And so we're going to be getting to, first of all, um, why? Why are the Jewish people like it? Why? Why? Why was he the one to get saved? 
to trust Jesus Christ as his Saviour? Yes, he had a personal encounter with him on the road to Damascus. That happened, obviously, a lot. But why did these other Jewish brothers and sisters follow? Why? Because Paul got to the point where he's being accused of betraying them. He betrayed them. Because he's telling them now, well, strict disobedience to the Jewish law is no longer an issue. It's no longer what makes you pleasing to God. It's no longer what brings blessings from God. It's faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in that guy that you're actually crucified a few years back. Now here's some people thought that might or might not entice you um, for a reason of discussion. I'm thinking we'll have a discussion on something or an issue that um, Paul is bringing up here that people accuse God of not having. So what I'm getting at is that there's a particular doctrine for someone who believes that um, Christ individually chooses people for salvation. There's a, a certain doctrine called limited atonement, which, which says Christ didn't die for everyone. He only died for the elect. He only died for the ones that are going to get saved. <clears throat> and so someone confronts them. Confronts them it says, oh, well, what's with that? Here we're reading that Paul has a heart for what's like everyone saved. But you're saying Christ is not like that. And so we're going to be having some conversations on these passages that we read that it tells us of God's willingness for everyone to be saved. But reconciling that with what's going on with election and everything that goes all over life. So there's some food for thought, something for you to think about. Again, going too deep or a Sunday morning. Mike, right. here's the question. Are you ready for your check? You've just been described the heart of Paul. So again, I repeat, when we're going through this, this, this checkup, we're going to be asking some questions. And these questions that are being asked, please hear me, it's not to try to make you feel guilty. I don't want to do that. <coughs> the point of these questions is for an awareness in order for the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Something might come up in your thoughts, in your minds, that I believe the Holy Spirit, that I've been praying for, will reveal to you us. And I know He's going to all speak to us individually. The question is, are you ready to hear? Are you ready? How concerned are you that about 20 people just died in Australia? So if you're wondering what they're talking about, from the point that we just started the service, from the time we just started the service, 
looking at the stats, I've got to keep the raw data to try out. About 20 people just got this shot. In that hour, we just had. How concerned are you over that? Knowing that probably most of them didn't know the instructions. Most of them are probably just in hell. Is there a picture? Have a reflection now of what our evangelistic efforts would be like. I'm not talking about even corporately as a body of leaders, because we're still not there as a body of leaders. I'm talking about individually. Individually, what are your evangelistic efforts? We have been instructed, we've been called to be the salt and the light in this world. Representatives of Jesus Christ. We're in the business of reconciliation. We've been reconciled to God, and therefore we are in that business of reconciling other people to God, being that light, being that salt. Sharing the good news. So, in regards to sharing the gospel, well, first of all, do you actually know anyone who is lost? Like, do you speak regularly to people who are lost? And if you don't, well, I don't know, maybe that should change. Yes, we're told to know. Be of the world, but we're still in the world. Okay. We don't have to be of it to be. In order to be of it, I think we still have the, the need <coughs> to speak to the ones who are lost. And I think if we're just vigilant enough, I think we're, they're all around us. Uh, whether it's work colleagues, for those who are still working. Whether it's the, the communities that we still live in, whether it's your neighbour, if you're in the house, or just on the street, that surely someone that you know is lost. When it comes to mind, when that's the case, when is the last time you personally shared the gospel with someone? Was it within the last week, last month? Last year? Last decade? <clears throat> now, I think a mistake we make in our assumptions, this assumption we make is a mistake. And I, I, I do this continually, by the way, and I don't doubt myself. I always think, yeah, that person more than likely has already rejected Christ. They've already said no to him, so there's no point. Just leave them alone. Being a teacher for the last, for like 15 years now, that thought process I've found is quite invalid because I'm having conversations even with students and sometimes with adults, and it's getting to the point where 
They actually don't know who Jesus is. They've heard of Jesus because they've heard uh, in a movie, more than likely being used as a swear word. So Jesus Christ, the name is there, but they actually don't know who he was. And for the ones who have done a little bit more research, I've heard people tell me, oh, he's just a, just like Matthew's one say, he's just a good teacher. He just taught all values. So don't assume that that actually be told the actual gospel, the good news. I think it's a mistake. But at the same time, the same time, don't be a Bible-backer. Don't just, we're not talking about literally passion behind the head of the Bible, we're talking about having no awareness of where this person is at and just feel like you have to just ram down their throat gospel. You have to ram down. And you don't even allow them a chance to respond or speak. That's why I define as Bible actually. I think the best kind of sharing the gospel method that we can do is by first listening to them, listening to their story. What was the last time you did it? And then if you feel like that's too much, I understand that. Keep in mind, the only instruction in the epistles, even in all the letters to after the Gospels, the only instruction regarding evangelism is that we have been um, required just to give an answer for something. The hope that we have. So that implies that someone's asking you about it. So don't feel guilty that you haven't shared the gospel with someone. But here's a question. When was the last time you actually prayed for an opportunity to share? Even to pray for that opportunity, is that continually on our lives? And then um, we have other ones, of course. How often do we pray for them? How often do we pray for our, our closest friends, our, our family members that are unsafe? How often do we pray for them? Just, just a time for reflection with that. Now, with praying, we know we can't pray someone into heaven. It's impossible. We are all responsible for making a decision to trust Jesus Christ. We can't do that for someone, even though Paul wishes that he could. So with prayer, I just want to take a few moments now. I want to give some practical advice. Um, because who, who's been praying for someone for quite a while and they just feel discouraged because nothing has happened for quite a while? I'm sure there's a few of them. I see all of them So I'm just proposing something, some practical ways on how we pray. For instance, first of all, I think we should pray ultimately that the Holy Spirit would be them. Because that's what they needed. They needed to come to that place where they, they understand they're a sinner and they're in need of forgiveness. That's the Holy Spirit's role to convict the world of the sin. So that's a given. 
when they you know, give teenagers they make wrong decisions to, to you, you feel all your, you, you, you feel with everything within yourself to want to rescue them out of that. It's like sometimes I, I could be mad. It's taking the focus off Jesus. I don't know. You've got to be definitely led by the Holy Spirit. In regards to that, because I'm not saying, hey, we should just leave our kids the way to our own devices. And this is why I need to get a feel of the wine. I think we need to just have this sort of sermon and wisdom for that, being led by the Spirit in that regard. But no, being open to this kind of thought process. So I'll leave you with that um, practical advice. And then finally, what about someone who comes through these doors? What's your awareness like in there? What's your thought processes when someone's new comes? Because more than likely, if you've never seen that person, they're in a very nervous state. Uh, even on myself. I've gone to church most of my life. And even, um, even, after I'm up here and I go to a new church, it's actually still nervous for me because it's just a, a different setting. What's our awareness like with those kinds of people? Can we just leave them to themselves to figure out you know, what to do? Do we try to automatically assume that they're safe? And say, you know, they're a church, yeah. Or, can we do more things than just pray for a man in the room? Pray for her. Um, that's why I lift up our values of being a power. Remember, we have a peace with God. That's past all I'm saying. We have to offer that peace. So they can have that peace. Accepting it. Not tolerating what they do, but accepting it. Loving them, showing love to these people, regardless of what they look like or, or who they are. Again, this is something I, I'd love for you to reflect on um, when we, we see new people coming through these doors. And that's the last question I have for you as a reflection. Where do your priorities lie? And yes, we have obligations in this world, but where are your priorities? I think we have to guard ourselves against getting distracted with things that do It's so easy to do. Distracted by how much time we focus on and our work or our hobbies or whatever versus our attention on the things of God, the things of what we're talking about this morning. Where do your priorities lie? That's the final question. I ask that you just be honest between you and the Holy Spirit that's living inside you. Has He revealed something to you today? If not, that's fine. And if so, are you willing to follow through? Are you willing to obey that Spirit's voice, the voice of truth? And so that concludes our 
three verses which I'm sorry I didn't write. I was going to actually five verses this morning, and then I um, reflected on the message again, and I thought, no, nah, I just want to focus on the heart of God, rather than focusing on what he's going to be talking about next, about the advantage of being a Jew, uh, because that's always coming back to your mind, because this is all required, leading in a conversation with Let's pray together and ask, maybe you need Heavenly Father, we thank you that your goodness, your, your priorities, your understanding of God. But at the same time, we, we understand and recognize that you are God, you can do um, everything all at once, pretty much. But the Lord is God, people, but for us, Father, we are, uh, we. We have a necessity to always be renewing our mind, to always guarding ourselves on focusing or choosing to focus on things that are on you versus things that are on this world. We know, we, we know how tempting it is. I think you know how tempting it is for us to be distracted with these things that are of lesser value. So help us, Father, as, a, as not just a, a body of believers, but also individually, Father, if we need it. Help us to get our priorities straight. To get them right, Lord. You know, our heart is right with you. Help our minds to match our hearts. Help our, help our lives to match what's in our heart. That's our prayer, that's our desire this morning. We know we need the Holy Spirit to empower us to do it. So we ask that as we go outside these doors this week. And enter in what is reality, the mission field. We're surrounded by people that are lost, that are unsaved, that don't know Jesus Christ. Help us be vigilant. Help us be mindful of those things, Lord, as we go and uh, live our lives out this week, as we walk into you. So, so, we thank you. We give you all the praise, all the glory again. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.